Today's podcast is brought to you by T-Rax Knives. I actually just received my custom kitchen knife from the folks at T-Rax Knives. This is the sharpest knife I own and the sexiest knife I own. Um, It is something else. Check out T-Rax Knives on Facebook and Instagram for your next knife build. This podcast is brought to you by Smith Game Calls. With Smith Game Calls, you call the shots. They have everything from a full gallery of elk reeds, cow calls, bull calls, different diaphragm, a whole collection of predator calls, bite and blow, external read, internal read, anything you want to call the shots. Use promo code NONTYPICAL for 15% off. This podcast is always brought to you by Old Smokes Coffee. Check out oldsmokescoffee.com for everything from conventional roasts to smoked roasts, dark, light, and everything in between. Use promo code NONTYPICAL for 10% off. This is the Non-Typical Nation podcast with your host, Brody Teal and Eric Labrie. Let's talk hunting and absolutely everything else that goes with it. We're back for another podcast. We are back. Made it through this summer, winter weather. Yeah, winter's finally here, man. It's finally here. It's January 20th, 22nd of January today. Tonight we're recording and it's snowing. And it's minus six. You know what? And what is super cool, I think, is we are pretty much all already like halfway done winter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, the worst part is usually this January, early January. Yeah. That's this usually... time last year, we had like a minus 40 stretch of cold weather. Yeah. It was, it was brutal. My truck, I, I remember I started it one day and it was like three months old, basically brand new. And it was revving at like 7,000 RPMs and going all the way down and just going nuts. And I sent it to the dealership, a, a video of it, and um, and they just chalked it up as it's <laughs> just the cold weather. There's nothing we can do about it. Minus 40. And then it warmed up. And then it warmed up and, and everything was fine. And everything's been fine since. But uh, yeah, we've been super fortunate um, with the mild weather we've had. Well, the wind sucks, so. And we always, but even then, the wind hasn't been that bad other than these last three or four days. Yeah, there's about four or five days maybe that was just shit. Yeah, it was just like this week. Yeah, 100 kilometer an hour winds the other night. My barbecue blew down, my smoker outside, our patio table with the umbrella blew over. And we had, we had totes that were sitting out by the garage, they were in the field. We had fencing down, we had all kinds of shit. I'm sure the horses were just going crazy. Well, I was gonna ask, are the horses all right? They, they seem to be fine. You know, they have the little shelter there with three walls on it, yeah, and we face it the proper way because the wind always blows the one way okay so they have shelter but i'm sure you know they always get a little spooky in in the wind anyway well where i deer hunt and where i know you do some deer hunting it is bad for having a lot of deadfall in heavy winds like this yeah like it is just unreal the amount of deadfall in uh, in the bush and it's all like it's not dead trees either a lot of it's actually so a lot uh, of newer trees. But. I don't know where I learned this or where I came across this information, but a lot of huge windfalls that happen now yeah. wouldn't have happened 
you know, years ago before development. Oh, okay. You know, there's I'm sure there's spots in the bush where there's or, where it happens all yeah, the time. There's nothing you can do about yeah. it. Yeah. But. but in these places where wind can like whip down pipelines. Okay. And down like roads or into big oil leases or cut blocks. And we saw it in a spot where we did some elk hunting actually where Jackson and you got that deer. Yeah. There was a spot where the wind just travels straight west down that huge long cut line that we got our quad stuck on. Mm -hmm. And at the very end, there's that creek where they didn't log yet. Okay. And if you look past the first, you know, eight trees that are sort of right on the creek bed, the rest of them are just knocked down like... Yeah. Like there was a tsunami one day that just came... Yeah. Pushed them all over, right? And you see it bad just south of town here. Yeah. On on some of the, the oil lease roads. And um, and I guess that's it, right? And the, the big power line. They, right? That just allows the wind to just barrel right down, and it plows down all the trees Pushes on trees the edge. down. And it's just... Um, there's a one spot by the river here when you're traveling towards Edmonton. Okay. Where uh, I don't know if it was a, some sort of twister touchdown uh, a year or two ago. Oh, wow. You know, right, right before you cross the Athabasca River. Yeah. And all those trees, uh, now they're logged. But okay, about yeah, two yeah. or three yeah. years ago, they just all fell down in a windstorm one wow. night. And, and that's a huge area, right? Yeah. But there's some log blocks sort of on the edges of it. And the and river's you know there. What? Like, all honesty, I used to get frustrated when I'd see just massive chunks of land logged, yeah. right? But then when you see the damage that these fires and the wind do, why not? You yeah. know, because it's going to happen. Well, and you, you, there's always going to be logging. And then I also see... You need wood. Yes, you need wood. That's exactly it, right? But it frustrates me when if when it all gets exported. You know, it goes yeah. to China, Asia, and wherever, and it's yeah. our backyard. But with that being said, I love hunting those cut blocks. Well, Because <laughs> that's where the deer, the moose congregate, right? We've we've talked about this before, and we should probably uh, tie in our guests before we get too deep. Yeah, for sure. We got to do um, it. <laughs> so, yeah, let's do that while the thought's still, still fresh here. Okay, so we are tying in Mr. Troy Iso today. Um, he is uh, an important part here uh, of our team at Non-Typical Nation, and we've had him on a podcast before, but uh, we had him on before... He was successful uh, harvesting a deer in uh, the hunting season, so we're going to get him back on and and toss some hunting stories around. Yeah, so we were playing around with a few different ideas on how to record with our cell phone calls when we when we tie people in on the phone, and uh, we're just going back to Plan C or B. <laughs> yeah, we've sort of had an array of ideas. Troy, how you doing, man? Good. You are on the air. We can hear you just fine. Can you hear us all right there, Troy? Fantastic, man. So we just started talking about, we had, this past week, we've had just an insane wind, like 100 kilometer an hour gusts, and we were just talking about all the windfall and, um, you know, how much havoc it does on on the trees and the bush. And then we got talking about um, about the logging and, and the, the trees they take down. And we didn't want to dive too deep into this because we want to tie you into the podcast. The point I was just about to make before, you know, we, we, we called you in here was that if, we, you know, we hate, we sort of hate to see this logging and we sort of hate to see these new oil leases pop up and new roads get pushed into our favorite, you know, little patches of bush. 
But then at the same time, if it wasn't for the roads that were built 30 or 40 years ago, or even the ones that were built 10 years ago or five years ago or last year, we wouldn't have access into a lot of the places that we hunt. And prime example of that is the bear bait that you got your bear at last spring. Yeah. There is now, we ha- used to have to quad about four, three kilometers to get in there through some water. Yeah. And now there's a, we got lucky. There's a lease road that basically comes in about 60 yards, 80 yards from the bait. Yeah, it goes right there. And it makes it super easy to get in there. Yeah. And you know what? And that's what I was saying. You know, it's frustrating when you just see these huge, vast chunks of land just plowed right down, right? Um, But then you see how much the deer, the elk, and the moose love that new growth. They'll spend all evening in there. And, um, and, and, and then you start to realize, you know what, it's just, it's just the way things are. And, um, you know, it could be a lot worse there, you know, once you start getting development, then you aren't going to see the deer, the elk, the moose. But, um, when you have that regrowth, that's actually very beneficial for the ungulates for sure. Absolutely. In your guys case, for sure, where it is allowed to be, uh, come back to its natural state where it does regrow. Whereas where I hunt out here in Southern Manitoba, when guys are, you know, when that bush gets knocked down, it gets knocked down and it becomes farmland where the deer won't come back, where the animals are just gone because it basically goes from, you know, a, a place of sanctuary where they can live and have cover and have some food to becoming just food and then basically once the crop disappears it's bare dirt so the deer clearly aren't staying there yeah and so you're a landowner but you're taking a little bit of a different approach on your property yes so what i try to do with you know the the timber that i've that i own that i've been given or whatever however you want to put it um basically i try to manage the timber in order to create as much food for the deer as possible. Because, I mean, just like you guys, we can't have food plots here in Manitoba where clearly that would be more beneficial if I could knock down, you know, let's say 10 acres worth of, worth of trees and then plant a, uh, a perennial grass of, you know, alfalfa or clover or, or whatever, you know, provide, right in the middle of my bush, provide piles of cover around it, so- provide safety and, and food. Uh, would be way more beneficial, but I try to do it with just the trees. You know, it's all a bit of a learning curve. Absolutely. Um, so how much land do you own, Troy? Especially, like, particularly, how much land do you manage for deer? 60 acres is what we own. 60, and wow. So. It, when I started with the 60 acres, it was like 100% bush. And then we knocked down about four to five acres uh, worth for my lane, my hydro uh, line to get in and then like my house and yard site and the rest is still primarily bush okay so can you maybe try and paint a little bit of a picture for everybody do you have like some water um do you have what what's the neighbor's land sort of look like what is what is everything sort of point which direction does everything sort of point so my property runs largely east west um and it is like I say, my property is like 100% bush uh, other than my house. And in the preparation for my house, I knew that I was going to need topsoil, dirt, 
uh, for backfill around around my house site, and I'm like, hey, there's no water source for the animals on on my property at all. There's water on the 20 acre piece uh, next to me to the east, but every time the deer need water, they're clearly leaving my property and they may not come back. And that was my biggest fear. So I kind of took the advantage of the fact that I was going to need, need the dirt for my house. So kind of in the back, whatever, back 20 acres of my own piece, I dug a hole uh, in order to get sufficient water source all year, all year round. I mean, obviously it's frozen now, but it still seems to be a natural gathering place, even though the fact that the water's frozen. So it, uh, like I say, basically creating a water source that was there for the deer all the time was super, super, super important because the deer can go up to, you know, 10 days I've read, uh, without food, but they can't go more than two days without water. So in the past years, every two days minimum, the deer's leaving my property and going to the neighbor's property. And to the, the north of me is wide open field. To the west of me is a very small pocket of bush, and then it's wide open field. To the south of me, there's a little bit of trees. Yeah, there's 80 acres that's partially pasture land. About 30 acres of it is pasture land. Um, which no longer actually has any animals in it and the rest of that 80 is is farmland and then past that is just farmland so I'm kind of really the only pocket of bush uh, there so between sounds like between you your between your land and may possibly that cattle pasture especially if there's no animals there now um, you're holding the entire ungulate population yes and that's and that's clearly why we are my area can't sustain you know elk or moose or anything like that there's just there's not enough cover for them so what do you guess this might be a you know a wild guess even but what what do you guess you have for a deer population on um you know in that in that chunk of area maybe even including your neighbor's uh pasture okay so in my property right now um, I feed all all winter long. Um, basically, I can't bait. So basically, as soon as either we're tagged out and nobody's hunting my property or hunting season ends, I put food in there. And I always go with um, an alfalfa bale and I always put in a, a round bale. Uh, it's just way easier than hauling in small square alfalfa bales. I know lots of guys do it. It's way more work. Whereas for me, I just put a big round bale in there. Um, and then they feed on it. And I would say I have between 20 and 30 deer on a regular basis hitting that bale. And it is roughly a third gone. So it's been out there wow. for six weeks, seven weeks now. And it's a third gone. That's... So I'm guessing that that bale will likely last the entire winter with, you know, 30 deer. Um, it's been an easy winter out here just like everywhere else there is is a ryegrass field um on the outskirts of of the neighbor's property and the deer are definitely feeding out there as well because uh, they can get at it because we have hardly any snow but last uh two winters ago there was i would say between 120 and 150 deer between my bush and the bush that's a half a mile to the south of me and he's a dairy farmer 
and they were going into a silage pile and just making a mess. So that's another reason why I also feel there's huge value in feeding the deer over the winter. If I can keep, you know, even 15 deer out of his yard that he doesn't have to deal with, then for me, it's a huge bonus. I want to see the deer anyways. And then my neighbor doesn't have to deal with them in his feed for his cattle all winter. Well, that's exactly it, man. If you want to see more wildlife, you have to put value on them. Because if somebody doesn't have value on those wildlife, they're just going to kill them. Yes. Right? And it's and, it's and like... And I unfortunately have seen that in the past. Well, and you many, see that a lot with elk. Ago, there was a Well, it turned into pests. That... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You see... many... Go ahead. There was a, a farmer that we used to hunt on years, years ago, probably 10 years now. There was like... There was close to 200 deer coming into a silage pile every night. And, uh, I mean, we were trying to work with conservation. We got bangers and we were out there, you know, a couple nights a week, like shooting flare shotgun shells at these things out, out of the hay sheds and just to try and keep these deer out of there. But after about two weeks of this, the deer realized that these propane bangers that are making a whole bunch of noise actually produce heat when they're going off so they would literally be bedded right beside these bangers they're making all kinds of noise you know random noises every every 10 minutes or so i've seen the exact same thing but the deer realize that these things are actually producing heat yeah i've seen that's funny i i've seen the exact same thing with deer and moose around oil field equipment and you know guys will always ask me like there'll be a pump jack or some kind of, you know, pump running or a shack running, making noise and it'll be farting and blasting and backfiring and making all kinds of noise. And you'll see beds right on the downwind side of the shack or on the warm side of where the engine exhaust is. And you'll see their tracks. They walk two feet from them. And these things start and stop whenever they're all automated, make all kinds of noise, but the animals, they know they don't hurt them. Right. They're, they're always there. They're always running. Yeah. 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 And you know, even, even in that case where we were running bangers and we had conservation involved, um, unfortunately the deer were still all over this guy's food. And once the deer were, you know, puncturing his silage piles, um, the big portion of that gets wasted because the silage starts to mold. Um, or the animals actually won't eat it on the open ends of the silage where they're pulling out to feed. These deer are obviously bedding there, they're crapping there, they're peeing on it, and uh, and then the cattle wouldn't eat it. So for the that's why I see the huge value in it. Like I can't imagine being that farmer, and unfortunately, these deer that yes, many people see huge value to. All of a sudden, they are wrecking my entire livelihood. Because my cattle won't eat the food and the percentage of the food that they will eat, they're losing piles of production off of it. Um, so it's just costing them money after money after money, you know, huge dollars. Um, so eventually they get sick of them and they just start shooting them, you know, and it's really, really, really sad to see. But I try to, you know, when, when I see the devastation from my eyes, it's like, oh man, there's just a pile of dead deer here and it's so disheartening. But I like I hugely struggle with handling that situation. I really don't know what to do. Well, and you see you see that a lot in Saskatchewan where landowners, ranchers, farmers, they'll have feed pals for deer. 
and they might not even hunt those deer. But they'll just have them to keep the deer away from uh, yeah, their cattle. Dummy piles. Everything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's just it. And um, yeah, no, it's you know, and and you see that a lot with elk around here. Um, not immediately around here, but a little bit farther west. Like I've talked to tons of landowners who say they just destroy their bales and their feed and pee on everything, piss on everything, and yeah, it's just unreal. So. Well, you guys hammered your uh, your property pretty hard this year after deer. Had a few close calls. Um, I'm actually just in the middle of editing your episode, and uh, you've got a ton of deer footage, but just not yeah. the right one, eh? No, no. On my property, this like during hunting season, uh, I never had a deer that uh, was even four and a half, I don't think. Um, there was a couple of three and a half year olds that were like 120 inch maybe. Um, but they're just never, ever, ever anything came through that was mature. Yeah. Um, my dad connected with, with a nice one on a different property that we hunt that I was actually chasing all of bow season. Um, never got a look at him at all, but I had another pretty close encounter with a different deer in that bush, but there was you know, in bunch of the properties that I was hunting, there was anywhere from 20 to 35 deer. You know, I would go out lots of nights and see, you know, 15, 20 deer uh, feeding, feeding on, you know, whatever, whether I was hunting a soybean field or alfalfa piece or a dugout or whatever. I was, there's definitely a huge whitetail population here. Our numbers are really, really good right now, but our mature buck level is just down. Yeah, and, and that's and that's what I noticed. You know, no shortage of action. You know, you've seen deer from usually the first hour you got there, there are deer funneling out in the field or onto the trail right until, you know, last light. Um, but just limited in mature bucks where up here, um, at least where we are hunting, you know, public land, crown land, you know, heavy timber, we're hunting some cut blocks. We don't typically see an abundance of deer, um, but we do see quite a bit of mature deer, you know, like a three and a half, four and a half, five and a half year old deer. Um, I seen 10 deer in October. That's all I seen hunting the, the eight or nine days I hunted. And wow. probably half of those were four and a half or older. Like they yeah. were all, they were all, you know, decent, mature deer. Um, you know, I never had chances at all of them. I had chances at some, but it just wasn't what basically what I wanted. But, um, but yeah, no shortage of action for you guys. And last we last time we had you on the podcast, I think it was mid November. You were just sort of wrapping up your rifle season, if I remember correctly. I think we yep. were done hunting, and he was the last. Is that one. what it was? Yeah. So it yeah, would have so been it, was... it would have been early December then. It would have been the last week. Yeah, it was either like the first week of December or last week of November. Yeah, right around there. Because I killed my deer on the second last day of the season. So, yeah, it would have been right around there. Yep. And so um, so you wrapped up your rifle season in your area, but then you guys have a late muzzleloader and shotgun. Is that correct? You betcha. Yes. So it is on the east side of the highway from where I live, um, where this late season opens. Uh, and it's for three weeks. So it actually goes like basically right up until Christmas. 
And uh, I was basically starting from scratch. You know, I didn't have a spot to go, really. Um, I had no permission. So that first week was a bit of a scramble. I was making some phone calls, and I actually had a really good buddy um, definitely help me get some permission from some of the land that he hunts. He hunts archery on that side in that zone uh, a bunch. So I definitely piggybacked off of him hard, uh, which I really don't like to do. But this year with, you know, just the new circumstances of really trying to get one on the ground on the camera, I was kind of pulling at any straws that were available. So uh, I feel you, man. I was in the same boat. Me some permission. So I sat the one, actually I sat in one of his stands um, that opening Saturday morning and i saw one doe and it was like way before legal light like probably half hour before legal light and uh and that was it you know it was just so warm that just for that time of year nothing was moving like during daylight they just didn't have to so so then i saw a different spot you know that saturday evening and again i think i saw one deer walking out to my truck like 15 minutes after legal light just absolutely nothing so i was really scratching my head i'm like what am i even doing here but uh but there you know there was there was lots of sign and it was like the deer are definitely moving through here it's just a matter of when so <clears throat> got in to the same uh different stand i guess that uh sunday morning and it was just, it was like the same temperature, pressure never changed, but it was just a totally different day. I don't know what happened. Something flipped. And uh, I basically saw a deer from the moment I sat down in the stand until I ended up luckily pulling the trigger. Uh, but it was mostly does and fawns. I actually only saw one buck and it was ended up being the one that I shot. So I was sitting in the stand and I had deer like all around me less than 50 yards less than 10 yards and then all of a sudden way back through the bush I can just see a buck go through head down which is super late uh here you know it was first end of the first week of December there well that's what I was gonna sixth. ask do you see much rut activity in you know that first second week of December generally not but with the numbers and the buck to doe ratio that we have here in southern manitoba that's the only logic that i can think of um why so many does are not getting bred the first round so basically this to me the buck like he's chasing gotta be a doe in the second round estrus or possibly a fawn that's coming in for the first times because sometimes those big fawns that are early they will actually come into estrus in their first year. Yeah. Not super common, but they definitely will. And if they do, it's generally late. So it's generally, you know, that last week of November, first week of December. So I'm guessing he was either chasing, like I say, a, a fawn or, or a doe that didn't get bred first round. But I'm thinking that these does didn't get bred first round simply because, you know, we have probably five or six does to one buck. And, you know, a buck can only breed, you know, maximum 10, 10, uh, 10 does effectively. And, you know, so, we have the absolute opposite around here. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah and I, I think it's largely because I think our population is still catching up from when our season was, was box only. So you know, quick we had, question. We had box what, only for what either you, three or four years. So what do you guys totally get for tags? Our buck. Do you get one either sex or what do you have for tags? Yes, we get one either sex. That's it. And that's it. Okay. As of right now, in certain zones, you you can still get um <coughs> you can still get a doe tag, but there there's like I think two or three zones in the entire province oh, wow. that you can actually get do just doe tags. Jeez, unreal. So yeah, it's super limited. They need to open it up. Like our buck to doe ratio is just horrible. Well, it's and everybody crazy because you guys don't everybody, have you know, near I shot the buck. a buck. I shot a buck. Yeah, gotta be. I shot a buck. Yeah. So I don't know. You're never gonna change people's uh, mentality on that, and I'm not, certainly not trying to. Everybody hunts for their own reasons. Um, you know, and if that's what gives you the biggest pride, the fact that you shot, you know, your four corn or your little three by three, you know what, all the power to you. Like I say, if you're out there and you're enjoying your time in the woods and you're doing it legally, that's awesome. Yeah, without so a doubt. So I'm certainly not trying to take away from that. But the guys who are chasing mature deer definitely makes it a lot tougher for us. So, hmm. but anyways, so ba back to my, uh, back to my morning there. I'm sitting in the stand, see this buck go through, probably two, three hundred yards away. And he's he's after this doe. And I have three fawns in front of me. None of them are further than 30 yards. One is like less than three steps. One is about five yards and one is like maybe 30. And they're, you know, feeding right underneath me. And this buck goes through. I'm like, okay, this is going to get bad because I'm going to, like, I could see that there was something there. Um, and at this point, I was certainly ready to uh, to pull the trigger on a deer, if given the opportunity. And all the other deer are coming up this little drainage dish that's right in front of me. And then they're kind of coming up onto this ridge right beside me to my left, which is exactly how I have the camera set up. You know, I got it on my left side gun straight so if he's straight or left we're good to go but this deer comes on the field edge down the right side which is like anybody who has sat in a tree stand and tried to shoot like basically wrong-handed <laughs> you know exactly what i'm talking about yeah so this deer comes down the right edge and he's pretty hard after this doe and I'm like, I'm screwed. I'm hooped. Like, this isn't going to happen. They're going to come down this field edge. They're moving way too fast. It's not going to happen. So then they get to about, I'm going to say about 75 yards out in the field, and they just stop straight right at me. So I'm like, sweet. So I get the camera rolling on him as, as he's out there, kind of like super tucked in right tight to my body. Uh, and I'm trying to stay on him. But now I can't get the gun over. So what I got to do is I get my camera arm away from my body. Then I get my leg over the stand and I get my other leg over and I'm doing all of this. And these three fawns are just staring at me like they're still not further than 30 yards. And they're just watching this whole thing happen and they're stomping at me and whatever. But I'm like, I either move now or this buck is gone. So I get one over get the other over 
get the camera back on them. And then I literally pull the gun up and I get the scope on him. And he takes two steps left and he looks like he's about to bolt. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. All of this. And then he's just ready to run. But luckily the doe that he was after had already gone past me. So he took like three steps to the left behind the tree. One step right. Looks at the doe. And then I, I got the gun up. Got the camera on him. I need him to take like two steps. And I can shoot him. And then he takes one step. I cock the hammer. He takes the other step. And then uh, I drilled him. And, and perfect camera and shooting lane field, too. And then he flops out into the field. And I was just ecstatic. Because it was just. It couldn't have played out any better. You know it wasn't. It certainly wasn't the biggest year that I was after. But man I put in. I don't even know how many hours. One of these years I keep telling myself that I'm going to keep track of how many hours that I sit in a tree stand. <laughs> but then I realized if I actually keep track of how many hours I sit in a tree stand, it might be disappointing because if I realize if I change hobbies, I can make a lot more money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't <laughs> want to look into it too deeply. So that so, was, uh, what was the date? That was, what was the date you killed that deer? December 6th. December 6th, okay. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, no, it, um, you know, and the video was just perfect, too. The deer was perfectly in frame, nothing covering the deer or the vitals or anything like that, and uh, and it worked out just, just fine. So that's awesome, man. I know, and that's the funny part, right? Like, the, the footage is good, but if you could have seen the circus that yeah. was going on in the tree, <laughs> it would have been, tells, you know, a totally different story. Yeah. No, I hear you, man. You know, just you explaining that um, anyone who tree stand hunts enough um, puts a you know puts enough hours in, enough days in, weeks in, you're gonna experience those moments. And I had the first buck that actually came under my tree this year. He came right under on the opposite side, came right to my tree, and bolted right. And I needed him to go forward or left. And, uh, you know, similar situation. I just could not get a shot off at him and it was just heartbreaking, but, um, you know, that's the way she goes. And when it does come together, it makes it that much more sweeter. So absolutely. Yeah. So right on. So, um, that deer there, you got it all butchered up. Do you do that yourself? You betcha. So what we do is <clears throat> we, we have tried deer many, many ways. And I always tell people, don't ever judge people on what they do out of their deer. If you do whatever you do and you eat the whole thing, that's what you should be doing. Like I know some people's like, well, you have to at least ground this percentage because you have to have some ground deer and you got to keep some roasts and you got to have some steaks. You got to do this. You got to make farmer sausage. And it's like, I don't know. My, my opinion on it is if you do whatever you do, and you eat the whole deer and that's how your family enjoys it, that's what you need to be doing with it. Do what you're so going to eat. what we do is we take, you know, take the, the inside loins out and that's usually that night's supper or the next night's supper. You know, that's always the delicacy. And then we, we always take the back straps out and I usually cut them into about three quarter inch steaks and then we freeze them in packages of about 10 or 12. 
And the way we do these deer stakes, this backstrap, is in those strips, we coat it in a pan with some flour and some sauce, mushroom sauce, and a couple of other things. And, and Heidi cooks it in a cast iron pan. And then we throw it in the slow cooker in a gravy. And then we, we let that uh, cook, you know, for most of the day. And it is just like when you pull it out, you got to basically pull the whole thing out with a spoon. Because if you stab it with a fork, the whole thing just falls apart. So that's what we, that's what we do with all the backstrap. And then with all of the, with all of this, the rest of the back end, like all of the roasts and all of the front end meat and all of that, we actually get these snack sticks made. So it's essentially like a, a pepperoni stick or pepperette for what most people would call but we get them made into a couple of different flavors and uh, we just absolutely hammer them. Nice. Right on. Do you mess around with the ribs at all? We, I actually, I clean out all of the ribs and I grind it up and I make it all into these sticks. Oh, nice. So, I mean, this, this fall between, uh, I guess we did four deer, four deer worth and that we split that between the three families so my brother-in-law and my my parents and then our family and we made i'm gonna say right around 175 pounds of this wow. these snack sticks so it, it's a lot but i mean we we did 150 pounds last year and i was out of them uh sometime in april <laughs> wow so so like I say, uh, for when people ask, it's like do whatever you feel like you're gonna eat. This is this is what my family eats. They're easy for the kids, um, so that's what we do, and we love them. So we just keep doing that. Yeah, for sure, man. And you know what? Like around here, um, I don't agree with it, but you're allowed three deer. You're allowed you're allowed up to three does or two does in a buck. So. You know, yep. most families are going to have three or four deer in the deep freeze. So experiment a little bit. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Like try making jerky, try making sausage and figure out what you like. Um, because there's just a ton of different things you can do with it. And a lot of people, they'll just try a steak or a roast and they don't like the taste of it. So that's it. And they, yep. they'll just leave it at that. S sits at the bottom of the freezer for four years. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, or they just, they won't hunt deer again. Right. So, um, experiment with it. I send everything to the butcher, you know, working at a taxidermy shop here and you're working with animals every single day of the week. Um, when I, when that deer hits the ground, I get that hide off and, and the next stop is the butcher. I just, you know, time is, is so precious and it's just something that I haven't made time for. Um, you and know, if you don't have a space to do it, it also well, gets that's, to be really, really challenging. Exactly. That's it too, right? Like we could make room here at the shop, but it's just, um, we, I've done it before. We've done a couple deer and it's just, I, uh, I like getting someone else to do it. That's just the way I roll. Right. And, and now some guys, when it comes to European mounts and doing their tax journey, they like doing it themselves. Right. Or. Some yes. people like to have someone do it, right? So um, it means something to everybody. I know you, Eric, you do everything yourself, basically. Yeah, if I if I kill something, I'm going to cut it up myself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah this, this year was the first year. 
I, I, we experimented, uh, with, uh, with our new smoker, Heidi cooked a bunch of, uh, goose jerky and oh, it nice. was phenomenal. Like I, we just hammered it. So it was like, you know what? I want to try, try some deer jerky out of these roasts. And she actually, you know, wrote an article, post, posted the, uh, <clears throat> the recipe on the, on the non-typical website there. Everybody should check that out. And, uh, it it was phenomenal. Yeah, like I'm really disappointed that I didn't keep more roasts in the freezer in order to cut cut these uh, whole muscle jerky up and just hammer that on the smoker. It was ridiculously good. And that's a super easy recipe. If you have a roast, you can make jerky out of it. And yeah, um, it was awesome. Yeah, no, very very impressive. Um, and yeah, you know, we we typically this year we got what did we get for deer? We've got four deer in total um we kept the ribs off of all of them and typically we'll just get the rib meat ground up but this year we wanted to try eating the ribs but you know they've got meat fat meat fat meat fat and it's tricky man it's tricky. I, i've experimented with every single time i've cooked it and um bear ribs are delicious because there's a lot of meat on them but the deer i find they're they're tricky tricky pretty scrawny and there's 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 not a lot of marble little there on on most deer ribs and the problem with venison fat everybody is gonna there's gonna some people hate on this what i'm about to say um but in my personal opinion the venison fat tastes like crap um you know, so when it's basically mixed layer on layer between meat, fat, meat, fat, there's absolutely no way on a deer rib that you can clean out the fat and keep the meat. There's so just not enough meat. basically you're stuck eating the whole thing. And in my opinion, the venison fat, I, I do not enjoy it. So, so, Eric, you guys, were you guys smoking the ribs? Did you have a way that you were doing them? So when that we, was... when when my brother did the deer ribs that were... They were pretty good. Like they were, they were probably, they're probably as good as as deer ribs can be. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's exactly to what Troy said is, deer fat or tallow, whatever you want to call it, just isn't. It's not necessarily edible. Like I, it's, it's edible, not the greatest. but it's not great. It's not meant to be eaten. I don't think it doesn't. No. It's 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 a different fat. If I was more educated, I would love to explain it to everybody. It leaves a a nice film in your mouth. It's a different kind of fat (laughs) than like beef fat or bear fat or whatever. And it it does. It leaves a film in your mouth. So my brother, when he made deer ribs, we cleaned them up really good. It was off of a big deer, fair fair amount of meat on them. They were fresh. Um, We didn't let the deer hang very long because then it dries out. And your ribs will dry out really fast. Yes. And he... Um, I might have the order mixed up, but I think he slow cooked them all day and then finished them on the barbecue. And when we ate them, they were like fall off the bone. Um, fantastic. You couldn't tell there was layered fat, but when you ate it, like it tasted great. You couldn't taste the fat, but then, you know, you'd have to like chase it with some water to get that film out of your mouth. That film, yeah. There was no taste to it. Like the, it just tasted like meat and the sauce and the marinade. But that film in your mouth, it was it was just a weird, like nothing else, nothing nothing else compared yeah, to yeah. compares to it. So what what would have happened in that case, Eric? From my understanding of how this fat cooks, 
is actually once you get it to a certain temperature, then the fat will essentially melt into the meat or kind of caramelize, and basically it becomes a liquid, um, and then basically kind of, like I say, it kind of melts into the meat itself, and that's the film that you still have there. Is basically, it's like the the liquid fat is getting stuck to your teeth. Yeah, it's just like an oil, and it just melts into the meat, and then yeah. it coats your mouth. Yes. So have you done elk ribs or moose ribs? Are they similar? No, I haven't done uh, haven't done elk ribs. I've definitely had moose ribs. The when you get into the bigger animals, there's that bigger chunk amount of, of meat, meat right? Yeah. There's an actual chunk of meat between yeah. the ribs. Where deer, even like a big buck, you'll see it's just like a one eighth inch layer of meat. Yeah. And then like a 16th inch layer of fat and then a 16th inch layer of meat and then a 16th inch layer of fat. And then the chunks on the little bit of bigger chunks on the outside. But there's once you clean it up and get to the actual just the rib cage, what you'd want to put on a smoker. um, You just got those four layers and they're stacked so tight. There's nothing. There's not really anything to eat unless you're starving. And so the moose ribs are pretty good. I haven't had them before. Yeah, it's like a chunk, right? And you it can is. you can really make like short ribs out of them or something okay. like that. And and you get a bone with a hunk of meat around the bone, right? Yeah. It's not just like you yeah, know, yeah, tallow sure. and a, a and chunk a chunk string. of bone with a coating of meat. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the bear well, ribs. I, I know are really that you good. didn't eat elk ribs this fall, Eric, because you decided not to pull the trigger. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure I'm going to get shit for that for a long time from you. Uh, you know, I yeah, appreciate oh, it. Though. Have you seen the video, Troy? Uh, I I saw just like the the 22nd clip that he sent. The day in. of? Yeah. Man, I, I looked at the video like last week and I just, I still couldn't believe it. But another crazy thing is he had a huge, was that a seven by seven yeah. bull? A giant pro, I would say probably 340 inch seven by seven bull at 70 yards 85 85 well, yards. it might have come in closer i couldn't range him because he's when he was closest he was behind a, tr- a little tree just a, a so dandy. yeah probably about 70 yards yeah oh. out of range out of range that's it there's not much you can do yeah. about that one but no. um no that one was fucking dead <laughs> that one was dead if it made another 10 steps out into the open it was it was getting an arrow so I was watching the video, and uh, and you're in in this cut line, and then you hear this huge bugle, and you look at the camera, yeah, so you're, li- you're I, like, "That's a big bull." I got there, and so I, this is my family's property, and I've talked about it before. I have a we have a little little tiny ten by twelve cabin on it. Um, my grandpa, he's owned it for years and years and years. He had it logged years ago. Um, there's a small little oily site, makes a little bit of. Uh, whatever you want to call it some some tax money off of it and yep he's now too old he's had his hips replaced and stuff he doesn't go there anymore he doesn't trap anymore and so i've i'm the only one that goes there and usually it's about 45 minutes 50 minutes from my house so when i hunt there um it's a half section of land bordered by crown uh on three sides and then the other side is bordered by uh two huge fields that are probably i don't know they're probably 120 acres each and they're just whatever crop the neighbor plants any given year we have permission to hunt it so it's paradise really this zone is a trophy bull zone so it has to be six points or larger no it's a three-point zone it's an archery zone 
It's that September 1st to October 31st archery. It's oh, a three-point zone. It was a six-point zone, so he didn't have to feel bad. I thought it was a six-point zone. No, no, no. It's five. it's only a three-point zone. So, what? yeah, but it's an archery zone, so you can only hunt from September first to October thirty-first with a bow. Okay. And then there's that short uh, rifle season in okay, November. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I usually hunt. You know, I'm usually gone the first part of August, and then I was there. I think when this clip happened, um, it was. First week of September, maybe the beginning of the second week of September. Yeah. And I was there for like three days. And this was the third day. First day, I found elk, ran into them, got a quick glimpse of them. Second day, same thing, small bulls, um, no shot opportunity, kind of spooked them. And then the third day, I was like, okay, I got to be here at this time, do this, and we'll hope for the best. I felt like I had it all dialed in. So uh, from the cabin, I walked... Um, you know, 5.30 in the morning, it's still pitch black out. It's probably about half an hour, 45 minutes to light. I have to walk probably two kilometers, and then I'm just going to sit on this big, the pipeline crossing on our property. And about 300 yards from me is the neighbor's field, and the pipeline goes right out onto the field. And so I'm just sitting, waiting, probably 60 yards to my other side is a crossroads where... There's an old road and the pipeline crossing. And I just cow called once, just chirped a couple times, and I heard a cow chirp, like maybe 100 yards behind me in the coulee. There's a big, deep, dry coulee. And uh, I was like, okay, it's about, you know, shit's about to get real. There was a cow behind you. There was a couple cows behind me. I heard like the quiet, like chirp, chirp. So you were in between them. Yeah. And it was still dark, like just getting like perfect timing, just getting light. So, okay, I get an arrow out, get the camera all situated. I'm sitting in probably three and a half, four foot grass. And I'm kind of hiding between three or four little spruce saplings that are about four feet high. And it's perfect because I'm just on my knees. And it's, you know, everything's wet. It rained. And uh, I'm just waiting, waiting. And I hear a big bugle. And that's when everything, I get super excited, right? Okay, that's the big boy. That wasn't one of these little bugles I've been hearing the last two days. That's the big one. You told the camera, you're like, that's a big yeah, bull. That's the that's the bull I'm here for. And uh, I, I wait. So I just wait. I think I responded with a bugle. And I just wait. I wait. And then I'm thinking, shit, he's probably going to come out behind me. And just as I think that, I look over my right shoulder and there's three bulls standing 60 yards behind me on the hilltop, just sort of as the pipeline goes up before it goes back down towards the field. And they're raghorns, you know, three point, two point, single points. And there's just three bulls standing there looking at me stupid. And I'm like, fuck. And I turned around and they saw my movement and they turned tail and ran. Then I could see a cow kind of joined in their group and they turned into the field and took off. And then I, I thought I was screwed. And then I heard the big bull bugle again. I'm like, okay, he has no idea what happened. He's obviously, I'm between them, right? I'm in the middle of them. No so kidding. I should have moved at this point. I responded and then I should have moved because I was by myself calling and shooting. I should have in hindsight bugled and then made a 60 yard gap in one direction or the other and just hope for the best. Mm -hmm. There was no wind. Um, I didn't. I was just too in the moment. I bugled and I waited. Man, there's so much going on. So much going on. Yeah. And I'm thinking this well, is finally the day. Especially when you're trying to self-film this. And I've 
I haven't seen a bull. I hadn't had a shot opportunity at a bull elk since I was 14 years old on that property. And I've hunted it every single year. So eight years. And this bull steps out in the exact same place. No way. That the seven point bull, the first elk I ever laid eyes on in my entire life while hunting, walked out in the exact same place. And there was a moment before this all happened, you know, between the two first bugles I heard of his where I thought, what are the odds he's going to walk out in the exact same place? And that's when I should have, you know, made up that 60-yard gap or whatever. He comes out, turns a corner, starts walking towards me. I get everything all locked in, get my rangefinder out. He's at 85 yards, and he's just standing there steaming. And he's right in the middle of the frame of the camera and he bugles and he's showing off his rack and he's looking left and right. And I'm just like, okay, keep coming, keep coming. Yeah. And he starts walking towards me and then he gets to the spot where he thinks, okay, I should see the other elk now. Right. And you can see it in his eye. He's like, okay, there's something missing. There's a piece missing here. And he turns, starts to think better of his decision. I think I cow called at him maybe a weak bugle and he turns and he decides he's going to walk back towards me and check it out a second time, but he's going to take the bush. So he walks through the willows and I can just see his rack moving left and right around the willows and the spruce trees. And then he stops at what I'm guessing is about 70 yards behind a spruce tree. And that's it. There's just nothing, nothing I can do. I'm in four feet of grass. There's nothing between him and me. And uh, I just, hit record and and just waited and waited and he turned and i you know did what i could followed him the rest of the day and just never never came anything of it and it's heartbreaking but it's you know you go back and watch the footage and it's just it's amazing it's it, it is yeah, it's no majestic kidding. and and you know what if you if you shoot one of those five point bulls on the first day out you never get to experience that. That's exactly, yeah. exactly right. And that's so, that's where I was that first day. I'm like, if this is how the season's gonna go, and I'm gonna have bulls in bow range, you know, I don't. I'm not the guy that's die hard. If I don't kill something, it's not the end of the world. Um. So yeah, if I, if I had killed that bull on the first day, you know, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. I wouldn't have been there that that day that that happened. Right. No. Okay, I'll make I'll make fun of you a little bit less now after hearing that story <laughs> because that was justified then the fact that you at least got to experience, you know, the, a bull of that class after you passed those three fives. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of credit. Well, you got to gamble, right? And I guess, you know, I don't play cards, but I guess I am a gambling man. Yeah, well, I think we all are. Anybody who steps foot in the bush in in pursuit of these amazing animals that we all chase i think we're all a bit of a gambler well and back to the the filming thing that we you know we seem to pound to death it's just none of this stuff would be as memorable if we weren't filming you know like to be able to go back months later and just watch it and like watch that promo video that you posted the other day and I hadn't seen that elk clip in forever. Oh, really? And in like the 42nd mark of that promo video, I'm like, that's that freaking elk. Yeah. And it, that whole moment just like flashes back in your brain and you're, you're like right there again. I really, I really had to laugh. 
the first time Brody sent it to me, I'm like, oh, I guess I'm like the only guy that gets super fired up about anything. <laughs> yeah, your audio clips are perfect, man. We needed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's me kind of to a T. My wife makes fun of me all the time. So is is that you screaming, oh baby? Yes. Oh, nice. Okay, that's 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 beautiful. Yeah, that's and, my and favorite I, audio clip. Part is, that I didn't even I didn't even kill the elk. It was my brother-in-law and my dad. I was the one behind the camera. Man, that is such a real clip. Like, yeah. I've never seen the video. That's just an audio clip. I've never heard it before until watching that promo that Brody put together. And when you yeah. listen to the sound in your voice, like you could play that to anybody. And they would go, you know, whatever the situation is, that's real. Yeah, it's sincere. Oh, yeah. Like, that's so, it's such a real, either just the, the emotion and the passion in, in your voice in that clip in particular. It's just, yeah. it, like, puts you back in that moment. Well, and that's the thing. The raw emotion when you, when you harvest an animal or when you miss an animal or even just in the middle of a hunt. Just like, when you're talking it. to the just camera. shit happening. You can't make that stuff up. You can't fake that stuff. You can try it, but people will call your it bluff. It doesn't work. No, you just, yes. you know. We've all missed clips. Yeah. We've, me and Brody have done it for sure, at least. We've missed clips and tried to re reenact them, <laughs> and it's just never <laughs> the same. It's just, it's almost a joke to try. I think all three of us can vouch for that, eh, Trey? Well, see, I don't know if I want to be the spoiler here. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I don't. Did, do you tell Eric that story? No, I didn't. You can. Uh, you can tell him. Okay, so Eric, so <clears throat> I'm assuming you watched my turkey episode from spring. No, honestly, I'm. He doesn't have TV. I might get uh, ostracized, or I think that's. It'll be on YouTube in uh, third quarter of this year. All of our episodes from Sportsman Channel will be on YouTube um, in July, so they'll yeah. all be on YouTube. So I'm. A, I'm a terrible person and i haven't watched a single one of our episodes from last year yet not okay, a single so one so besides that good work eric <laughs> yeah honestly um, i don't okay, have tv so, i'm sorry so i i'm out there hunting turkeys first time i've ever chased anything in many many years with a camera this is the first time i've ever chased anything with a mic trying to you know uh get the whole the whole story i did many moons ago chased birds with the camera got a bunch on film uh, but anyways so this is the first time many years really with any type of quality trying to get this done and uh bird comes in totally surprises me i was not ready for him at all and all of a sudden this bird is like 60 yards beside me never gobbled nothing like turkeys in spring it's like they're vocal birds like hens or gobblers like they're they're just vocal it's amazing to hear so these birds come out of nowhere and waltz right into the decoys first one's a good tom i have been struggling to get a tom into range and actually get a shot um for like two and a half weeks at this point and finally it's happened like he's trans he's right in the decoys i can basically do whatever which point proven because i had my shotgun leaned up in the window, which anybody who's hunted from a ground blind realizes leaning your weapon against the tent is a horrible idea. Because <laughs> whenever you go to grab it, it makes all kinds of racket and movement and whatever. Yeah. So I'm trying to get the camera on this bird and get my gun up. And, you know, it's just, again, it's a circus. Welcome to apparently hunting with Troy and a camera. 
And finally, Kate, get my gun up, get it up in the in the right window, and uh, make a good shot. This bird flops, and and it's all good to go. So I have, you know, obviously the celebratory reaction, and I was super surprised. And you know, I go out, uh, get the bird, do my closing, load him in the truck, go home, and then I go to rewatch the footage. And the moment I go to rewatch the footage, I'm like, why is there no sound when the bird is coming in? Why is there no sound when the gun goes off? Why is there no sound of my reaction? I'm like, okay, it's just, I must be doing something wrong with the camera setting. So then I keep watching. And then all of a sudden in my closing and in me loading the truck and walking out, there's sound again. So what had happened was obviously when I was walking to the blind, I bumped my mic and it disconnected. So it was having no sound. So I shoot my bird and I obviously move the camera and then it reconnected. So then I had sound for everything after that. But for the whole shooting of the bird and the reaction part, there was no sound couldn't see anything or couldn't hear anything so that night i'm just devastated i'm like that's the only part that i like i can't reenact so i called brody i'm like what do i do i'm like i finally shot a bird but it's like i got no sound for the sound for the show the kill shot clips and and he's like okay he's like go back out there and he's like do exactly what you just did and he's like try and do something close and he's like i'll probably just like audio overlay your reaction and uh and it'll be good so i go out there pull the trigger right beside the camera do it turn it to me and i do my reaction and i'm quite certain that's the you know my my (laughs) debut acting career i'm quite certain that's the one that brody it was great man you knocked it out of the park what was that? I said it was great. You knocked it out of the park. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I thought so anyways. So it was really funny. So that was my debut. So when you say you can't reenact it, <laughs> you know, you got to set your goals just a little bit higher, Eric, because like anything can be done. Yep. I like that. You know what, man? And it is so easy for that to happen when you're hunting because your microphone it's just it's plugged into the side of your camera and for a branch to catch on it oh or yeah it's a just stick, a, it's just a big hook to f- catch on everything my last camera i had a panasonic and it didn't show the audio levels in the screen and i had that issue all the time luckily it didn't happen with any very important content like any closing or, or anything like that yeah. Um, but it happened all the time and it was super frustrating. So when I bought a new camera, the Canons, they all show the audio levels right on the screen. And that was very important to me because then I yes. could make sure that, um, it was still, it was still Picking recording that up. mic was plugged in and everything else. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it happens, man. And you know what? Like, I, I think the first, first or the second hunt that we filmed, um, me and my brother, we were on a wild boar hunt and, you know, we'd hunted for like three or four days. Finally, on the last day, last evening, sure enough, these wild boars come running right at us. 
And um, we get down, and I'm like, you got it on film? He's like, yeah, got it. Clicks record. I shoot it, and then we track this pig. We get the pig, and we look, and there's no footage. And so the issue was he was already recording, and he stopped recording. And, yep. uh, you know, it's what it is. It's it's just like buck fever. And the, the cameraman gets it, too. And when you're self-filming, it is so easy for, you know, a little mistake like that to happen. Um, oh, yeah. But you know what? And when we're hunting now, like like yourself and, and me and Eric, that camera is so darn important. It's almost more important to get that animal in frame than it is to get a, it's a shot. It's absolutely more important. It's always... You see something, you know, I play my, whatever, my uh, plan, strategy, if I'm seeing whatever I'm hunting. So yeah. if I'm walking, calling elk, I'm thinking the whole time, okay, what am I going to do if one steps out right there? What am I going to do if I'm sitting here waiting for one to walk out and it comes out there, there, or there? And it's always camera first. Yes. Bow, if I'm sitting, the arrow's ready, and all I have to do is pick my bow up. But my camera is always like right in front of me so that I can just easily swing it, focus, hit the button, and then the the kill shots afterwards. Yeah, and it, and if, yep. if that camera doesn't come first, you will never ever get anything on film. No, and if you nope. and if you're afraid to like the camera has to come first because you get that elk in frame and then it you you go to draw your bow back and it takes four steps to the left, you have to to be successful in filming, put draw back your bow or put your bow down, move the camera and draw again. Yeah. You can't just take the shot because you need the elk. Yeah, and that's I I had to I learned that sort of the hard way the first couple years of filming, is I sort of felt like okay, well, I'm not gonna sacrifice the moment for the footage, but you yeah. have to. You have to. And that actually, it's like uh, a blessing in disguise because. You sacrifice the kill shot for the footage. You actually end up more with more memorable situations because you get everything on can, camera where you can't kill everything anyway. You can relive that moment infinity times after that. Yeah, like if I call in 10 moose and the camera's always first, then I'm going to get, you know, let's say 8 out of 10 moose on camera. If I'm shooting first, I'm only going to get one moose. Exactly. And it might be the first one. It might be the third one. It might be the 10th one. Chances are it's not going to be, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, that's why I felt super fortunate this year to, uh, you know, like when when I started here, I my, my biggest priority, my br biggest goal was to get a turkey, you know, at least one turkey kill on film uh, for the team. So, like, to be to be able to get three turkeys on on film, then film my brother-in-law and my dad killing that elk, whole pile of waterfowl footage, and you know, and, and eventually finally capping off my season, killing that deer, you know, just incredible, incredible, you know, year really. Yeah, you really did. You had a, an absolutely phenomenal year, um, and you know, a lot of hard work, and it. It, it paid off you know you got the shots you needed to get and uh and it was well worth it i'm sure yes yeah super neat super neat to be able to relive all of those moments you know with with the audience you know like you get lots of people asking me questions and and whatever about like what's what's going on you know obviously they see a bunch of stuff on social media 
like, well, what are you doing? So like, you know, to be able to actually have successes from year one and be able to tell them, it's like, well, this is what I'm doing. This is what, you know, the big goal is. And, and this is what's going on and be able to tell them like, yeah, you know what, watch, watch here and you'll be able to see, see me and Heidi. It's, you know, it's really, really, really neat. Yeah, for sure. And I'm going to slip this in right now. We mentioned it on Facebook, but our next three seasons for Non-Typical Nation TV is going to be on Wild TV. And so our new seasons are always going to start uh, in the end of June. So the third quarter of the year, and they're going to run for a full year. So anyone listening, we were on Sportsman Channel last year, um, but we're going to be on Wild TV for the next three years. Um, you know, we're, we're getting more airtime rather than airing for six months. We're airing for a full year, and it's just more time on the TV for uh, everyone to tune in. And you know what? Maybe Eric will be able to catch one of our episodes because he's got all year, <laughs> all year now to subscribe. Well, maybe I'll kill something <laughs> and be in an episode too. That might help. <laughs> Right on. So when does turkey hunting start there, Troy? When do you get all geared up for the, the big uh, thunder chickens? Yeah, that season starts uh, the end of the end of April. It's the last week of April uh, and then kind of the month of May. And I'm hoping to to get out again with uh, some of my nieces and nephews. My uh, my one niece, she turns 12 about two weeks before the season opens. So she apparently is all gung-ho. I was just talking to my brother-in-law the other day. She's all gung-ho. She's going to get uh, get her hunter safety, and she's going to be out hopefully chasing these big thunder chickens. So that should be really neat. It's always great to, uh, like I say, to get those youth out, man. It's just it's so awesome to be able to spend those moments in the blind. getting. You know, It doesn't even have to be a youth, just like somebody new, just somebody who has never experienced it before just to see their raw emotion when, when, you know, when stuff like goes down, yeah. you know, when there's an animal harvested and they have never experienced that to experience that with people is, is just so, so, so cool and super rewarding. Yeah, it really is, man. Um, so in Manitoba, 12 years old is when they can buy a bird license. Yes. Okay. So in Alberta, they your license and a deer license. Yeah. So in Alberta, they made game bird 10 years old. Yeah, just in the last couple of years. I think it was two years ago, yeah. Which is neat yes. because then you can get kids, they get their hunter safety at 10, they can hunt grouse um, until they're, you know, 10, 11, and then by the time they're 12, they're pretty much ready to shoot a deer. Yeah, they have a little bit of experience. A little bit more experience. Yeah. Yes. They, cha they changed that here as well. And I... I sh maybe you shouldn't even say this, but I'm quite certain that um, at, at 10 and 11 with the wild turkey, you can actually have a shared bag limit. So basically, if I take my niece out, she can shoot a turkey on my tag if she has her hunter safety, if she's 10 and 11. I guess, you know, any, any kid that's 10 or 11, I'm quite certain. Um, but definitely check the regs for that one. So can she get her um, own But tag? yes, definitely with, with the game birds, you can have shared bag limit with uh, the 10, 10 and 11-year-olds. And you're right. You know what? The earlier you can get them started, get them comfortable with the gun, the better, in my opinion. 
Well, it's I just... I mean, I got my first gun when I was five. And that's exactly it. Like, some of these kids who grow up, like, I feel bad for my kids because they, they, they've they been hunting with us since they're three years old. And they got to wait till they're 10. Like, 10 isn't too bad. But, uh, you know, 12 years old, like Jackson, that's still another six or seven years for the poor kid. But... Uh, you know, 10 years old is perfect. He can come out with us and, uh, you know, we can get some ducks, get some grouse and, um, and get them, uh, you know, get them ready for, uh, for big game hunting with, uh, with deer and bear and everything else. So you're hunting turkey right around the same time we're starting our bear hunting around here. Yes. I know I'm, uh, we're pumped up for that. We always are. It's always always nice for winter to go away. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this year, I mean, man, winter, we've been awfully fortunate. Oh, it has been too. crazy mild, but it has been very, very, very windy. Sounds the same. Yeah, yeah, same here. You know, and I'm hoping we do get a bit of snow because uh, if we don't, it's going to be a very dry spring, and then we're going to see a ton of fires, and, and fire season is a is a bad one around here just because there's so much bush, right? Um, so we're hoping we get, we get a few good dumps of snow between now and, you know, mid March. And then, uh, hopefully we, it's somewhat wet come, uh, come April. And, uh, we have a, a nice spring like we did this past year. Yeah. Last spring was nice. Very nice. It was. Yeah. So, yeah, I know that's the fight, the fire side of the situation. Really funny. Going back to my episode there, that evening that I shot my Turkey. So I hunted in the morning and uh it was done i don't know i can't remember i probably got home around 10 10 o'clock and i'm a volunteer firefighter here uh, in my hometown and instantly pager goes off so okay grass fire so then i go out fight fight a grass fire for about three or four hours got it under control go back home so it's shortly after lunch it's like kate now i'm ready to go you know back out turkey hunting again well i literally i was driving out to the blind and pager goes off again so it's like okay i guess i'm dro- dropping turkey hunting again run to the fire hall go fight another grass fire it was a smaller oh, wow. one so it only took like an hour and a half maybe two hours so i was getting into the blind late because i was fighting fire all day get situated you know and then it wasn't very long didn't have to wait very long uh, and then the birds were there so that's awesome and that's all on your property where you hunt these turkeys too uh, the, where I shot mine, no, I, we, I have a fair bit of permission in our, in our area here. I've been obviously chasing all kinds of critters for better part of, uh, 20 years now, I guess, just about. Yeah. And, uh, so I've gained a fair bit of permission and, you know, it's, it's work with so many different landowners. Uh, it's certainly a lot of work to keep those relationships, um, you know, and, and, basically to kind of keep a few pieces for yourself that that not everybody is in is becoming more and more and more challenging but uh whatever it's work but it's totally worth it in the end when uh when it all pays off so no i shot mine on a different piece heidi shot hers on our property though okay yeah so that was the that was the first the first animal that we've actually harvested off of our property since we owned it nice so that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's super cool. Right on, right on. Well, well, awesome, Troy, man. We appreciate having you on. 
Um, you know, we always shoot for that right around 60 minutes. I think we, yeah, we surpassed that. We're at about 75 minutes today. Um, appreciate it big time. It's always a pleasure having you on. You bet, guys. Right on, right on. And we've got a winner from our last giveaway. I was going to announce that uh, while we're still on the air here. So on not last podcast, but the podcast before, we had Kyle Sinclair Smith on. And the question we asked on social media was, how big was the bear that Kyle Sinclair Smith um, shot this past year? The answer was 20 and 6 sixteenths. We got several answers that were correct. We did a draw, and the winner is Jason Forrest. So Jason, send us a message, and we'll get this prize package off to you right away. We're going to do another podcast giveaway. So what we're going to do, guys, we're going to ask a question on our Facebook page. It's going to have something to do with this podcast today with Troy. Um, Answer the question, send us a message, and on next podcast, we will announce the winner. We're going to do another draw, and you'll win a prize package. Um, We've got a a hat from our friends at T-Rex Knives, and uh, we're also going to do a $50 promo code for our webpage so you can get yourself some non-typical nation gear or some antler obsession, whatever you want. Um, you can get that on there. So be sure to check out our Facebook page when you listen to this podcast and answer that question for a chance to win. Awesome, Troy. Well, thanks again, man. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, yeah, be sure to tune in to uh, the TV show, guys, in five more months to check out Troy's whitetail episode, um, his elk episode, waterfowl, and we might even have a turkey episode on there too. Sweet. Right on, guys. Well, have a great night. Awesome, Troy. Thanks so much, man. We appreciate it big time. Thanks for coming on, Troy. Mm -hmm. Bye. Right on. That was a good one. Right on, guys. We we sure appreciate your time listening to the podcast. We enjoy doing this. And, um, yeah, hopefully the audio sounded a little bit better with this one. We've sort of been playing around with... uh, with with how we record our guests on here so we did something a little bit different today so hopefully uh it sounds a little better yeah you know it's always stick with that you know the reality of doing a guest over the phone is there's always a little bit of a disconnect there's always a little bit of a delay so we talk over each other a little bit we just try and minimize it best we can yeah and uh you know hopefully the the way we recorded it tonight will have a little bit better audio quality out of troy um just to make it a more enjoyable podcast overall and uh, yeah, it was a fun one. It was good to talk to Troy. Yeah. He's a busy man. Yeah, he is, man. He's got a lot going on, and uh, and he's a just a, a real great down to earth guy. He's die hard good storyteller, and yeah, for sure. Die hard, or, die hard outdoorsman for sure. Right on. So yeah, guys, check out our Facebook page right now. Check out the question that we asked. Uh, send us a message with the answer, and uh, you'll be entered to win that prize package. We'll announce the winner on the next podcast. Jason Forrest. You won the last podcast contest, so send us a message, and we will get that prize package off to you right away. Awesome, guys. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Cheers.